King's Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. All right. Thank you, dear. Can you give my wife a hand? She does a good job at announcing announcing things from God for people. <laughs> um, why don't you stand up with me, church? We are going to... Um, I'm going to share some scripture today, and so what we do, which is our custom, is we um, begin by all together out loud speaking out the portion of scripture um, that we're on. So this morning we're again in Genesis chapter 15, we're on verse 8, and we're going to read from 8 till 11, although we may actually focus all the way through 21. We'll see how far we get. Let's do 8 through 11 for now. Everybody read with me all together. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and powerful that your word is alive today, this morning, God. And if it gets implanted into us, into our hearts, Father, if we would open our heart to your word, God, the seed of your God life would be made manifest on the inside of us and then be made manifest on the outside of us. So God, we open our hearts this morning to your word. Let it sink into the deep places in our lives in Jesus' name and everybody said amen turn to your neighbor and say amen to you too friend and then high five them hard just a hard high five uncomfortably oh i heard two high fives thanks for your obedience okay good morning it's good to have everybody here at king's church um this is my first sunday in a hat and i just wanted to let you know that in case you didn't notice I'm like, can I, can I wear a hat to church as the pastor? I don't know. I'm going to do it. I can do whatever I want. I'm wearing a hat to church. No one can stop me. Um, <laughs> good to have you here. So listen, um, welcome to King's Church. We are a community of believers that are trying to get as close to the fire as we possibly can get. That's the whole idea, that if we can touch God, if we can know God, that we would be forever changed and impacted. The Old Testament, there's this idea that God has a house that he dwells in for a while. And there are the people that can try to get access to God. There is an outer court where the normal kind of everyday believer, Israelite, kind of comes to try to get to know God. Then there's the second level, which is the courtyard. They come in past the outer court into the courtyard to kind of where there are sacrifices taking place. And it's like the church stuff, like sacrifices, people praying. And then you can go deeper yet into the temple, right? And then you're in the area where God is at. And then you can go even deeper yet into the temple behind a curtain that used to be into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God actually was. 
And the picture is, there are many of us that live at different places along that continuum. But when Jesus came, he rent the curtain that separated God and man and said, I don't want you to be in the outer courts anymore. Come now all the way in to me, to be with me, to know me, that my presence would know you. And that the act of Jesus' sacrifice allows us to stop living just the outer court life. Just like I show up, I do the thing, I give the sacrifice, I do the high five and go home. But God's desire has always been for us to come deeper into the place where he is seated and that if we would touch him in that place, we would all be forever changed. And there are times in our life where we touch God and it's like, man, I am changed from here on out. But it is a constant living pursuit of knowing a living God, right? It's not a one-time transaction. It wasn't like there was a doorway and God said, okay, here's the new deal. You get a ticket to one time come through the curtain. Like, here's your ticket. Use it once. It's very valuable. You don't get to come back. That's not what it was. It was an invitation to come and dwell and be with the living God. And we're crazy enough to believe that Jesus' sacrifice was for us to come in to relationship with the God of the universe. How does that work? I mean, it's crazy. I don't know how it works. He's God. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an ant. But he allows this relationship, this love father to son, father to daughter relationship to be facilitated by the work of his son, Jesus. That's what we're trying to do build a community that says, get closer, get closer. You don't have to live this outward, outskirts life of a single weekly transaction where there's a sacrifice and then you go home. Get close to God. He's real. If you touch him, he will change everything. All of the great men and women of faith touched the real living God and then their whole life got lit on fire. My dad had a dream. Uh, I wasn't planning on sharing this. And I think I was like 12 when he had the dream, and it deeply impacted me. In the dream, he was lying on a rock, and the sun was beating down on him. And he knew he had to stay on the rock. Um, and it was hot, and it was excruciatingly painful. He was surrounded by this really dense forest, jungle. And he's staying on the rock. He feels like the Lord's like, stay on the rock, stay on the rock, stay on the rock. And he's like, I can't do it. I can't stay on the rock. And he stays, and there's a moment that he stays there long enough that his whole body ignites into flames, bursts into flames. And he jumps off the rock. He starts running around, and the whole forest catches on fire. It burns to the ground, and he sees there are other forests with people kind of trapped in them. And he's running from section of forest to section of forest, and it's all burning down, and there's freedom that people are now free from that little forest they were trapped in. And the, and the picture is so, I mean, you know, as a kid, you're like, Dad, you got lit on fire? You know, so obviously it sticks with you. But there's this picture of like, if you're willing to stay on the rock, if you're willing to pursue the part of God, that he will ignite you. And the great ones of faith are people that are willing to believe that you have a call to be ignited. And that's what happens when you go from the outer courts into the Holy of Holies and touch a real living God. And that you're on fire and then you touch other people and their forests burn down. 
and God is revealed in their lives. Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to those who are trapped. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, to, I'm looking for a God that will burn down the weeds in my own heart and light me on fire so I can help burn down the weeds in other people's hearts and light them on fire and that we would change our hearts, our families, our cities from the inside waiting on the rock. And the thing is, like, if you get off the rock, you go, he, in the dream, at the beginning, he stepped on the rock and stepped out into the forest and he said it was so cool and refreshing, but he knew he was called to wait on the rock and it was painful and it didn't make a lot of sense, but God was in the process. And so that actually is a little bit what we're going to talk about today in Genesis chapter 15. So we leave, last week we left off Abram, and so this is the situation. Abram, God says to him 25 years ago, if you will leave your home and follow me, I will bless you insanely. The entire world will be blessed through you. That's how big I will bless you. If you believe me, leave your house and follow me. And so Abram leaves it all behind, leaves his father's house behind, takes his family and follows after God. He's on this journey. It's 25 years into the journey now. It's actually a little longer than that into the journey. Last week we found him. He was in a tent. He was sad. He was afraid. And God spoke to him, came into the tent, the dark place, the small place where he was residing, said, come out of the tent, look up at the stars in the heaven. If you see that kind of story, that kind of star story, how big and vast it is, that's like my blessing for you. I dare you to count all the stars. I dare you to try to even conceive of how big my plan is for you. And he can't do it. And it says this, and Abram believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So Abram is crazy enough to believe that God has a promise that is so big for his life specifically that it is the size of the heavens, the stars in the heavens. And I don't know um, how many of you guys get out to the woods. I grew up in the Catskill Mountains, so the stars are pretty, pretty big. In the city, they're not so much, right? It's like, I see one! I'm like, that's a satellite. That's not even a star. Um, it's so funny because my kids are little and they, and they didn't grow up in the country. So like, my, like Solomon uh, last year, he'd be like, dad, I see a star. I'm like, that's exciting, I guess. When you, when you grow up with light pollution and you don't ever see stars ever, like a star is exciting. But Abram goes from the dark place. And if you think of back then, zero light pollution, how much the sky is exploding, 4,000 BC. Then he steps out of the tent and the sky is exploding with stars. And God says, that is the size of the promise that I'm giving to you. I think that's phenomenal. I think it's poetic. I think this, the narrative is beautiful and complex. And I see a God that is a poetic and beautiful God just in that part of the story, right? He's not a divine machine that's like, do what I said to do, be more obedient, and you get a banana from the tree. He's like, look upon the stars in the heavens, the galactic painting that I created for you. That is the size of the promise that I have for your life. And it says, and Abram believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. From pain, smallness, tiny, dark place, to looking at the stars. Um, 
And God still speaks to us that kind of way through the stars. Romans chapter 1, verse 6, it actually says that creation declares the goodness of God and his nature to us from just how grand and beautiful it is. There's a famous argument called the teleological argument, which says we can see that God is real and what he's like because we can see how crazy and beautiful and complex and finely tuned this universe is. Um, I don't have time for it, but I was reading a response to the teleological argument, which is often called the watchmaker argument. The watchmaker argument is if you're walking on a beach, sand as far as you can see, maybe the water's over here, and you find a watch on the beach and you pick up the watch and you say, well, this is obviously very complex and purposefully designed. You, would, you must say there is a designer who made this. And when you look at our world and you see the vastness of space that's primarily lifeless, and then you see our world that's booming in complexity and function and purpose, you must then say, there is a creator who created this for me. He has a purpose in the creation. Um, this response that this famous um, chemist and atheist Peter Atkins said, Atkinson said, he said, we are the children, he said, he basically says, that, is, that argument is garbage. And he says, we are the children of chaos. The deep structure of change and decay at the root of our universe, there is only corruption and the unestimable tide of chaos. <laughs> Gone is purpose. All there left is direction banging in the dark. This is the bleakness we have to accept as we peer deeply and dispassionately into the heart of the universe. That's the other side of the story, right? On the one side that Abram is actually in the darkness but God calls him out to look at the universe and says, this is how much I love you. This is how beautiful. And the enemy says, look at that and realize how little and tiny and alone and forgotten you are. And God's saying exactly the opposite. This is how much I love you. And this is the size of my promises for you. And it says, and Abram believes God and it's accounted to him as righteousness. And then this is interesting. The, next, the very next verse says this. Um, Romans, excuse me, Genesis verse 8, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, because remember this, previous verse, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Next verse, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Which is a really interesting response, right? Because it just said that he believed God and it was credited to his bank as a righteous act, but his next phrase, the next response is, but how can I know? Is it possible, friend, that God can have called you to something, you believe that he's called you, and it's okay to ask for an assurance? Do you know that about God? That it is okay to say to him, God, I believe you've called me. God, I believe in your dream, but please speak to me with the sign so I really know that you're going to come through here. It's a paradox that on the one hand it says, and he believes, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, and then on the second hand he's allowed to say to God, God, I'm not, I need another assurance here. Like, I need you to give me a confirmation that this is the direction I'm going. And God is so good that it doesn't say, and then God changed his mind <laughs> and discredited his account. It's, it's not that way because God knows us. 
And he knows who we are and he knows we're weak and he knows we have a hard time believing in such magnificent things. So he's willing to confirm his promise to Abraham. Even though he's already met Abraham in the tent, drawn him out, pointed the stars out to him, he's such a good God that he's willing to confirm his promises. Now, it's a funny thing because like, we don't just go around asking God to confirm everything. He says, like, Lord, I really want to murder Mick Leach, and I know you, I don't think you want me to, but can you confirm it? <laughs> you know, I need a confirming word not to murder him. No, wrong. That's not how it works. God doesn't confirm his, pros, his prescriptions. What you're not allowed to do, he doesn't show up in a sign and say, you're not allowed to do that. Here's a sign. He confirms his prescriptions, excuse me, his proscriptions, his affirmative actions to adventure. He confirms things that are risky. He doesn't confirm, hey, Lord, I really don't know if I should have this affair. Can you give me a confirmation? No, wrong. Please, wrong. No. Like, that's not how it works. He's not going to confirm that. Just don't do it, Right? But he will confirm, I feel like I'm supposed to go to Kenya this year, and it costs $5,000, and I feel like you're calling me. Can you give me an affirmation? It's a forward directive movement that's a risk in the adventure and plan of God. He will confirm. So Bethany and I were in Spokane, and, and I felt like we were supposed to move to New York City and plant a church and start a law firm. And um, I prayed one night, and I said, Lord, I need you I feel like it's you. My close leaders are agreeing with me. Uh, I need you to speak to me. And that night I had a dream. And in the dream, my pastors, Bob and Kara Grimm, were standing with me on 8th Avenue and 34th Street. Um, the New Yorker Hotel where Bethany and I met for the first time 18 years ago, 17 years ago. It's, yeah, it's a long time ago. And I'm standing there on that corner in the dream with me, and they're praying God, we release Bethany and David over New York City to come and to do a church and to do all the things they're called to do. And I woke up the next morning, I'm like, man, that was cool. I prayed for a confirmation for going forth, going forward, and God gave me exactly a dream that spoke exactly to that. I remember Maggie, when we were trying to get her to move out here um, last year, um, it was two years you've been here, Mag. We were like, we're going to start a church at some point, Maggie. We need you. And um, she had never had a dream that you remembered before. And so we were like, I was like, God gives people dreams to confirm what he's doing in their life. Pray and ask him to do that. And so she prayed and did. And a couple of days later, I think, she had a dream that she was holding our kids in a church-like building with our pastors and us in New York City. And uh, she called us back and she's like, I had this dream. I don't know if it's from God. I'm like, you don't know if it's from God? You've never had a dream before, right? I didn't say that to her because I didn't want to scare her. I said that to Bethany. She doesn't know if it's from God. Because God's a good God. And even though he lays stuff on our heart that's scary to do, he confirms in his goodness because he knows we don't often know what choice to make or what decision to make, and it's scary, and we're weak, and we're fragile, and that's okay. He's that good that he knows it, and he still counts it as righteousness even when we ask him for a sign. I love that about God. It's amazing that he's actually interacting with us on our level, that he actually knows that my frame is shaky and vulnerable, and like you tell me to do it, like God tells me to walk to the park, I'm going to be like, yeah! And then when I get to the end of the block, I'm going to be like, 
no. And then I have to come back up and he's like, no, go. And then I get like a little bit closer and then I get a little bit closer and then I get a little bit closer. And he's okay with that because he knows me and he knows I'm not perfect. And he knows I'm not going to hit a grand slam my first time at bat. It's going to take a few times. So when God shows up in his tent, it doesn't say, and then he left and Abram was perfect thereafter. He keeps failing. He keeps aiming for the mark and hitting it some days and missing it some days. And God is okay with that. I love it. It's amazing that he's that good. Okay, so, so Abram says, give me a sign, God. And this is God's response. I do, oh, let me just show the scripture one real quick. Psalm 16, 7 on the dream thing. It says, I will bless the Lord. P.S. Psalm 16 is phenomenal. Please read that Psalm this week. It'll bless you. 16, 7. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. So it is a way in the scripture that God speaks to us. He speaks to our heart and our hearts instruct us. Now, in the New Testament church, they were getting all wacky and all they were doing is living by dreams. And the apostle came in and said, hey, guys, get your head out of your dreams and follow the word. Dreams are a part of it, but stop making it central. But the, the reason I encourage people to ask the Lord for it is because we're so materialistic. We don't think that ever even happens anymore. And it does. The life of God that's interactive, God actually interacts with us. That's what we're here. That's what we're doing, right? Okay. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. My heart also instructs me in the Song of Solomon. Though I sleep, my heart is still awake. That there is an eternal part of me that's not going to bed at night. That is somehow, in some way, awake and can somehow hear from the God. From the God. Yes, the God. Uh, and I like that. Okay, so he's like, Lord, show me a sign. And this is what the Lord says to him. And this is it. I love it. The Lord says... Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So the Lord says, so Abram says, bring me a sign. And the Lord says, bring me a sacrifice. I love that. Abram says, bring me a sign. Show me the covenant. Confirm the covenant plan with me. Confirm the promise with me. And God says, okay, sure. You bring me a sacrifice first. First of all, I already showed up here. And you're asking me for a sign. I'll do that, but bring me a sacrifice first. And then I will show you the sign. It's a, it's a, what a cool God. What a strange picture. He brings a, a heifer, which is a large female cow that hasn't had any offspring yet. He brings a ram, brings a goat. There are three mammalian <laughs> beings. And they're all three years old. And what is that all about? Well, I mean, it's all about representing a gift to the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a divine gift to God. And they're all split. Those animals are all split in half. And that sounds weird to us. Really, really weird. God's like, okay, you want me to show up? Get a cow and chop it in half, buddy. <laughs> what? So in the Old Testament... Um, they made promises in this kind of way. Now, it wasn't a promise. It wasn't like, hey, Eric, bring my sweater back next week. And he says, I'll promise I'll bring your sweater back. It wasn't that kind of promise. It was a covenant, which the root word there means to cut a thing. And so here's the picture. 
God says, bring me a cow, a ram, a sheep, and these two turtle doves, and I want you to cut these three things, the mammals, in half. So Jeremiah chapter 13, a couple other places in the Old Testament, tell us how this promise was made. And the promise was made like this. I take this thing that's of great value to me. Cows are valuable. They're expensive. It's a valuable sacrifice that he gives to God. God says, cut them in half. And then what happens normally in a covenant is you cut the thing in half and you walk through the blood of the animal and you say, may it be also unto me if I break the covenant with you. And then the other guy, the other party to the pact, the contract, walks through the chopped in half animals. Like, this is a serious situation, folks. This is a serious promise. May it be unto me if I break covenant relationally with you. If I am not for you, if I am not behind you, if I don't back you up, if I don't support you when you're being attacked, if I don't bring all of my resources to your aid, may it be unto me like we've done here today with these animals. So God says, I am supporting you so greatly that may it be unto God if I ever break my covenant with you and I ever don't back you and I ever don't support you. It says in Jeremiah, when the people of Israel left the covenant, God says to the people, may it now be unto you because you have broken the covenant. Because they, and by the time Jeremiah rolls around, the whole nation had wholeheartedly abandoned God. Very small uh, portion of them had still been committed to God. So, so Abram says, God, show me a sign to confirm your promise. And God says, bring me a sacrifice and make it valuable and cut it in half. So there's kind of two parallels here that are happening. There is this kind of old world covenant system that we don't really know about unless you're a student of the, of the word um, or historically you just know about it. But then the second picture is you know, Jesus said they searched the scripture to look for eternal life, to ways to live, but in them they speak of me. And so whenever we look at these pictures, we say, okay, Jesus, where are you at here? And what are you showing me? How are you in this picture? And we're going to jump to that in a second, but I just find that in our life with God, he calls us to promises and then we say, okay, confirm the promise. And he says, but I want you to sacrifice to attain the promise. Like in cheap theology, he says, well, Jesus, David, Jesus is the sacrifice. We don't need to sacrifice anymore. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14, we have it somewhere up here. He said, if anybody wants to be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross is like, a, it's like carrying an electric chair. It's a symbol of your death. He's saying the sacrifice part of this thing still exists. Now, it's not a sacrifice to make us right with God, because Jesus did that. But it is a sacrifice for your promise to be fulfilled in God. This is a very specific promise that Abram is walking out. And God says, I want to confirm this in your life my promise. You bring me the sacrifice. You bring me something valuable to you. Your time, your money, your whatever it is. 
I know God asked me to pray in large chunks this year, large chunks of time in prayer. And I don't like to do it. I want to look at Instagram. I just want to sleep in the morning until I have to go to the train. I don't want to spend significant blocks of time in prayer. And the Lord says, do you believe my promise or not? Are you willing to sacrifice something of value to me? And you're like, okay. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm, I really believe some days. And I'm like, if I if I do this God thing, if I buy into this God thing, he's going to do something phenomenal with my life and my wife and my children and my church. It's going to touch the whole world. Like, I believe that level of star dreams. And then the Lord's like, okay, here we go, David. Give me a sacrifice. Give me something valuable to, to me. Give it to me. And this is what happens. It says this. It says, Abram chops the things in half, Verse 11, then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Because as soon as you make the sacrifice, the birds of prey dive bomb you, so you will retract the sacrifice. This is it, baby. This is the story. God calls you to something spectacular. You get excited and believe and give to him what he's asking of you in your heart. And then as soon as you give it, the next day, I promise you, this is the pattern. The birds of the air will come and try to take the sacrifice. Your time, your commitment, your whatever to the Lord that he is asking of you, the birds of the air come to try to take it. And so... I'm, a, I'm like 12 years old, and we moved to this little town upstate New York. We moved around quite a bit before that, and we kind of settled finally. And my dad took over this church, and it was a tiny church in the mountains and a tiny town. And we had a falconer that was a part, a member of the church. And so he had hawks and eagles and, and peregrine falcons and all this kind of stuff. It was really exciting as a 12-year-old. And he's like, hey, you know, do you want to be a falconer? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Like, throw hawks at people. Like, yeah, sick them. Um, and so I didn't know how vicious they were. They're vicious. They're dirty beasts. And I went over to do the training thing with the guy. And uh, he's like, here is this glove. And it's like this really hard glove, me and my brother. Here's this glove. It's like this hard glove. And I realized, like, I'm wearing a very hard glove because the bird would prefer to tear into my weak flesh if he could. So I got to wear this thing and hold him really tight so he doesn't eat me. He's like a flying eating machine. He doesn't like me at all. And so my brother and I, we're, we're supposed to get this little dead chick and you kind of wave it and the bird flies and it lands on your arm and you're like, dun, 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 dun. We don't even have the chick. We just walk out in the field and we're, he's the other guy's going to come. He's up on the hill. He released the bird. He's going to come and bring us the dead animals. And the bird is, is possessed. It hates me. I don't know what I said to it or did. I looked at its mom a weird way. It is coming to kill me. Like it is from this, the moment we walk out in the field, he decides that my brother and, and, and I are its dinner. And it just dive bombs us. And you know, it's coming. You're like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to move. It's going to move. Like, ah! And you're jumping. We're jumping into the field on the grass because the bird wants to eat us. It's terrifying. 
this little hate-filled flying machine is after you. And uh, it's like seven pounds, six or seven pounds. It's not really that substantial. It's got sharp claws. But really, even as a 12-year-old, me and my brother could have stomped it to death easily. You know, I wish I would have. Could have grabbed its neck and twirled it around. We'd be dead. But it's terrifying. Something from up high is flying down at you at a fast rate and screeching and flapping its wings. It's a lot of sound and a little bit of substance. It's a lot of distraction and a very little bit of strength. They really only weigh, like these smaller birds that we were starting with, weigh five to seven pounds. They're not, it's not like a bear is coming after you, right? That would have been worse. A glove wouldn't have worked. I would have needed a bodysuit. And um, I'm, I'm thinking about this, Ephesians chapter 2. It says that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. And I'm thinking about Abram when he sets his sacrifice up to the Lord to prepare for this covenant. And he doesn't know the covenant part is coming because it doesn't say anywhere that Abram walks through. The, the picture is that you split the animals and then you walk through, you say, let it be unto me. The other guy walks through and says, let it be unto me. He doesn't walk through. It doesn't say he walks through. He splits the animals. And before the covenant can take place, before the, it's sealed, the pact is sealed, the birds of the air come down to try to attack and take the sacrifice. And I just find that when you make a promise to God, he's called you to something great. You make a promise to him and he says, now give me this valuable thing. The birds of the air try to come and take it. And listen to me, they don't have a lot of substance. They are loud and they're distracting and it's kind of scary because it's weird. And they want to take the sacrifice, but you literally have the ability to withstand them. So Ephesians chapter 2 says that the devil is the prince of the power of the air, of that space of dive bombing, right? Of course, that little bird was a creature of the devil. And then it says in Ephesians chapter 6, literally, this is how to withstand the devil. It says, stand therefore. Do we have that right here? Finally, brethren... Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the guy that they just told us is the prince of the power of the air to protect the sacrifice that God asks of you. And I don't know about you, but I know at the beginning of this year, the Lord's like, David, I want you to do a few things. And the last week, middle of the last week, I just got crazy. Like everything was crazy. And, um, I ended up going out of town for business and like all my prayer stuff went down the toilet. And I was like, yeah, I don't feel like praying ever again. But listen, if God asks you for a sacrifice, you can be guaranteed that the birds of the air will try to come and take it and distract you from the plans and purposes of God. What is God asking from you this year? What valuable thing is he asking to for you to give him this year that will be attacked, that will be pursued by the enemy because he doesn't want you to hold fast to the covenant of God. So it says this, it says, the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. The birds of the air 
represent demonic forces. The scripture says that we battle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and power, spiritual forces of darkness in this world. So that distraction, that thing that's trying to get you off track is the enemy of your soul so that you will not engage in the promises of God. Because what he doesn't want from you is for you to fully believe the promise. And then if you believe it, he doesn't want you to sacrifice to attain it. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about salvation. Jesus, salvation, we're good. We're good to go. I'm talking about the promise that God has given you. Okay. Then here, verse um, 12. And Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Before the darkness part, because it's very localized. um, He fights off the, the birds. He stands fast, and then there's rest. And that's that Ephesians chapter 6 thing. It's a stand strong, therefore, they'll go away. Like, you'll break through it, but you have to be able to be strong enough to stand and fight it off. Like, I have to be strong enough for Monday morning to come up and say, okay, it's 5.30, get back in my prayer closet and do it again. Stand firm, therefore, with the sacrifices that God has called you to make. Get back in the place. They will go away if you stand and you will have rest. And Abram falls into a deep sleep. Then God talks to him specifically about um, Israel. And we're going to skip some of that. You can ask me about it later if you want. This is the part that's crazy. And it says this. It says, and the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram. Okay? He falls asleep. And the Lord said, there's a bunch of wild stuff that's going to happen to your ancestors. It's going to be all right. Verse 17. God finishes sharing. Verse 17, it says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And then it says, And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to him, To your descendants I give this land. Now, remember I just said the whole preface of this was there's a covenant, it's split, one guy walks through, and the other guy walks through. For years, this has been the most cryptic part of Scripture for me until about a year ago. I realized what's happening is God goes through the sacrifice twice. Abram is asleep. He does not go through the sacrifice God goes as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. The picture is the same God that leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, cloud by day, fire by night, out of Egypt into the promised land. That God goes through the sacrifice twice. Why, David, does God go through twice? I thought it was like, I go through, then you go through. I thought that was the deal. Because God knows that we are going to break the sacrifice and he is going to have to be broken and poured out for us. He goes through the sacrifice two times, once for himself and once for Abram, and once for the seed of Abram, the seed of faith, to say, even though you break the covenant, even though you don't make it through, I will be broken for you, and I will restore you, and I will be your God, and I will back you forever and ever and ever and ever. And Abram doesn't even have to walk through. He sets up the sacrifice. This is the crazy thing. He sets up the sacrifice. He does the bird thing. And then God comes back with this unbelievably magnificent gift back to him. He goes through both times by himself. 
And in the second time is a picture of Jesus that goes through and then he's broken for us. It says this in Isaiah 54. It's talking about the new covenant. Isaiah uh, 66 chapters. The first two-thirds of Isaiah are about the old covenant and the, first, the last one-third of Isaiah is about the new covenant. It's set up chapter by chapter in the same way the entire Bible is set up. Old covenant, new covenant. It says this about the new covenant that we get. For me, this is like the days of Noah, verse 9 of Isaiah 54, when I swore to you that the waters would never again cover the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry or rebuke you. And here's the clench, verse 10. Though the mountains may be removed and the hills may be shaken, my loving devotion will not depart from you. My covenant will not be broken, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. That the new covenant that comes with Jesus is a covenant that is unbreakable because he walked through twice and he saw our brokenness and was poured out for us. So kind of three points on this. Believe in the dream. What is God saying to you about this year, about your life, about your future? Get out of the tent. Look to the dream. It's real. Sacrifice something valuable and protect the sacrifice. And third and finally, when you mess up, when you fall flat like I did from Wednesday to Saturday, that's why we have Jesus, because he makes the sacrifice clean for us. He restores and replenishes and gives us grace and strength and peace and hope to get up and do it again, and believe in the promises of God again. They're real. They're for you. They're for your sons and your daughters and your family and your places of work and your country, if you're willing to believe and trust on Jesus. Amen? Why don't you stand up with me? Hmm. I just want to pray because I feel like I feel like I dropped the ball this week on stuff with the Lord. I just want to pray on the one side, like, Lord, show me what the sacrifice is. And then two, God, give me grace to make the sacrifice. Give me grace to believe and pursue. And so I'm going to do one prayer and I'm just going to be silent and ask the Lord to speak to you. And then I'm just going to do another prayer and ask the Lord to encourage us, to inspire us for the Holy Spirit to blow on our heart. Is that okay? So why don't you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. God, we just thank you for your promises. God, we thank you for your dream for us, God, that it's good. God, that like Bethany said earlier, no eye can see, no ear can heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for us. So God, I just ask that you would awaken the dream on the inside and that you would say to us, here's the thing that I want you to lay down this year. Here's the living sacrifice I want you to make. Is it your time? Is it your focus? Is it your attention? Where is it? And God, I ask that you would pinpoint the spot in our heart, God, and lead us gently by your hand in Jesus' name. So Holy Spirit, just speak now to us. And Father, I just ask for the grace to run the race, God, to run with endurance, 
God, to run steady and strong after you, believing in the promises, believing in the goodness of God, accepting the sacrifice of the Son. God, seeing your heart, God, how good it is, how secure it is, God, how safe it is, Lord. And God, I I just declare over our house, God, over King's Church, that we would be people that believe in the sacrifice. And when we get knocked off track, we would just step right back on track. God, that we would just pursue you again in Jesus' name. listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.